you for downloading our podcast or watching our sermon series. It is very important that we know the God we worship. It is also imperative that we discern how God defines himself in his word. If we do not take the time to know our God, we will never know ourselves. We might think we can never know God. When we really think about God, we can see some apparent tension. How can we say, for instance, that God is simple on the one hand, but also incomprehensible? How can we say that God is separate, but also personal at the same time? These are just some of the instances. Please join us as we seek to answer these questions and many more, and remind ourselves that we are the creatures, and He is the great Creator King. We've mentioned with the attributes of God, there's uh, communicable and the incommunicable attributes. And what that simply means is there are attributes of God that are distinct to God, and there are attributes that are communicated to man. Wisdom is one of those attributes that we see as certainly, uh, or God is the embodiment of wisdom, but it's also something that's applied to us, that we are called to possess and grow in this wisdom. So when we think about wisdom and what it means to walk in wisdom, uh, this is an understanding that we are those who are truly called to have a priority to live out the gospel in Christ for his honor and glory. And so as we understand that, and we understand this call to live out the gospel for his honor and glory, we also know that God is a fullness of wisdom. So we might wonder, how can we truly have a wisdom that is divine when we are not divine creatures, right? We are created by God. We are not God in ourselves. And so how does this wisdom then work itself out in terms of our lives? And what does it mean that God truly is the embodiment or fullness of wisdom? So we'll divide our message into the only wise God and an exclusively wise people. So let's begin with this understanding of God being the only true wise God. When we think about God being a wise God, we have to draw a distinction between wisdom and knowledge. Bob Inc. in his work does a good job of distinguishing what knowledge is versus wisdom. Knowledge is something that is normally acquired in terms of ourselves as human beings. For God, he just knows because he knows all things. We think about knowledge and wisdom, we understand that intelligence and ignorance are not the same thing, and that's an important thing to understand. When we talk about intelligence, this is something that God has given to us to comprehend things. God is all-knowing. He is uh, the fullness of intelligence, if you will. Ignorance is something that we're all ignorant of, right? I mean, uh, we don't know what tomorrow is going to hold for us. We can I guess in terms of our general plan, but we don't fully know what tomorrow is. So ignorance is something we overcome by acquiring knowledge. As we learn more, we are less ignorant of what we were yesterday or moments ago. And so ignorance is something we acquire. Intelligence is something that God has given to us. So they're not one and the same. We talk about God being the one who is truly all-knowing, uh, this is something that's rather marvelous. God doesn't need to study. God doesn't need to meditate. God doesn't need to contemplate. 
He knows all things, which is rather um, beyond our comprehension that God knows what happened at the beginning of the world, knows what happened before our history, knows what happens in our history, knows what's going to happen tomorrow, knows the end of the world, knows exactly uh, what even eternity is going to look like all at the same time. So you start thinking about that and it really humbles us as creatures where we recognize how limited and how small we really are in comparison to God. When we talk about wisdom and knowledge, we, we got to understand this distinction. When we think about knowledge, what, what is knowledge? Well, as I've mentioned, it's something that we study, we, we learn, we, we know more things. Knowledge is also something that is theoretical, right? We, we learn something. We're not necessarily putting anything into practice. We, we just learn some details about certain things but haven't acted on it. Knowledge is something that truly in and of itself is unpractical. It, it doesn't work itself out. We, we just know. We can talk about things, but it doesn't really accomplish anything or move anything. It's just acquiring more and more information. Now, when we talk about knowledge and we talk about wisdom, wisdom is the actual application of that knowledge. So knowledge is not necessarily bad, even though we speak of it as being something that's more theoretical, uh, something that's just information. But that information is what informs us to move forward. So wisdom, in terms of, of what it really means, it's discernment. It's discerning a good decision versus a bad decision. Uh, it's discerning what's honorable unto God and what's dishonorable unto God. And we put this in, in spiritual terms. Wisdom is also something that is intuitive. Uh, it's where we begin to just take what we know and live it out or work it out. Uh, when we think about this in, in terms of a contrast between us and God, because again, when God creates the world as the all-knowing architect, he doesn't study, uh, he just does, he just creates, he just makes a perfect creation, working out what he knows, manifesting it in his wisdom, in his world, and in his providence. Now an example of, of where we can see this in terms of the spiritual realm and in terms of who we are. We think of James uh, 2 verse 19 where James says, you believe that God is one, you do well. So there's knowledge. It's good to know that reality. So knowledge isn't necessarily bad. But he says, even the demons believe and shudder. So here you understand the demons know something, but in this knowledge of something, it, it leads to a reaction. They're terrified of God. And so what James is, is warning us is that we can have a perfect theology and knowledge of God as God knows all things and who he is. But if we're not acting on that in terms of a true godly wisdom, it's of no benefit to us. We think about God's wisdom being perfect in contrast to our wisdom. We have warnings that we can find in wisdom literature. Proverbs, for instance, gives a warning not to be wise in your own eyes, but turn and fear the Lord, Proverbs 3, verse 7. So this is that reminder that we take what we know of God, and in wisdom we live this out. Going on in terms of 
uh, who the fool is, the warning of one being wise in her own eyes, there is more hope for a fool, as Proverbs goes on in Proverbs 26, 12. That's a reminder, right? So it's that reminder that we need to not only have a knowledge of God and who he is and his awesomeness and in his glory, but to really have a wisdom that we live this out. So what we learn about this is, yes, God is certainly beyond us. He is transcendent. Uh, he knows all things. God works according to his knowledge and works out his wisdom. And there is a call for us in terms of being Christians uh, to know and to live out uh, this wisdom. So wisdom is moving beyond just having that knowledge of God and truly seeking to work that out in our lives. So we think about God's wisdom. God is the one who is all wise, right? This is something that when you say, well, why is it good to know this? It means that God in his providence doesn't mean we always like what God does, but we have to go back and rest in the reality that who God is, he's working out his wisdom according to his goodness. Uh, we know that God is holy. So when we have this knowledge, we know that God conducts himself in terms of his holiness and what is righteous and what is good. When God does everything in his wisdom, it means he does a perfect application of his knowledge in knowing all things. So in terms of our Christian life, uh, when we hear uh, scriptures exhorting us to live our lives in light of this, we have to continue with the understanding of what we know of God and proceed in living this out in the confidence that he is righteous and he is good. Now, as I turn to Romans, then, as we've looked at some other passages, kind of considered some things from wisdom literature. We look at our text, and we look at Romans 16, verse 27. And here you have the Apostle Paul, uh, clearly writing uh, to a diverse group. So it seems some of these people are probably a delegation sent to deliver this letter. Uh, some of these people are probably members of the synagogue, but what we see is this international community coming together. Uh, it's a reminder that in terms of the heavenly banquet, it's going to be difficult to remember all the individuals' names, but thankfully we have eternity to, to get it down. But once again, you know, we're reminded of the international community that God has redeemed and called to himself in his wisdom. So notice that in Romans 16, verse 27, Paul says this, this statement that, that sounds rather strange, if we really think about what this says. He says, to the only wise God. Think about that declaration. The only wise God. This sounds as if there's a variety of gods, right? That Paul's polytheistic, maybe the Roman culture is rubbing off at him, that there's a lot of gods, but there's one God that's above them all who's, who's truly wise. And so if, if we just read that in, in terms of, of a Roman culture, we might say, well, what, what, is, what is Paul saying? Is he making a concession? Is he saying that there's a variety of options and, and there's one God that's more wise than the other ones? So this is the one we, we really want to embrace because he's probably more of a winner than the other ones who are inferior. Well, we have to look at how Paul has used wisdom before we jump to that conclusion. Because somebody might come to you and say, well, this seems to be what Paul is saying, right? 
I mean, only wise God means there's a lot of gods, and God's uh, the top of the food chain, if you will. So this God's the one you want to follow. Well, what does Paul say about wisdom? Well, one place where he uses wisdom quite a bit is in Romans 11, verse 33 to 36. And this is how the Lord, in his wisdom, works out his redemptive timing. And his wisdom is unsearchable, which means we can know God, we can know his promises, but at the same time, we, we can't fully grasp why God does what he does. In, in Romans 11, if you're familiar, is a passage that is dealing with the Lord cutting off some branches and grafting in the Gentile branches. So you have the Jews and the Gentiles coming together in one tree, finding their life and finding their, their true uh, sustenance in God. And so God, in terms of his wisdom, works out his redemptive purpose. Now this, this wisdom and this invitation of wisdom is something that, as we looked at Job last time, is echoed in the book of Job. We think of uh, Elihu as he prepares a way for the Lord's speech. And Elihu says, We do not have the mind of our God who has given him counsel. In other words, the question that Elihu's asking in Job 36 is as we don't have the mind of God, who, who gave God counsel? And it's an invitation for Job and for the counselors to basically kneel in a cross-like posture before the Lord in, in humility and saying, your wisdom's greater than my wisdom. Your ways are higher than my ways. I need counsel. I need to search. I need to research. I need to gain options. And then I need to take that knowledge and figure out how to apply that knowledge and what to do with it. But Elihu's saying God just does. And as he acts and as he carries out his wisdom, it's done in perfection. And so as we go on, as Paul continues in Romans 11, he's citing something from Job 41 verse 11. That it's a reminder that as we think about Paul talking about God and the reality of God, it's that reminder in terms of who God is. That God owns all things. No one can repay God. No one uh, can come to God and, and truly hold him accountable. Now, it's not that this is to frighten us. But it's a reminder when we go back to Paul speaking of God being the only wise God. We may say, well, why is this encouraging? Well, if you think about the gods... Right? And we've talked about idolatry and we've talked about the absurdity of idolatry and went to Hosea. And it's, it's absurd because uh, as a creature, when we're manufacturing our own God, who is the one who is God? Well, it's the one who creates. It's the one who makes the God. It's the one who builds the theology of their idol, right? And, and, and builds that all out. Well, at that point... The human being is a God over the God he's created to serve. That's not the God being wise. And so what the Apostle Paul wants us to understand is there is a God who not only knows all things, right? Because if God just knew all things and couldn't act on it, that would be of no benefit to us. There's, there, there's, no, there, there's no comfort in that. But what he wants us to understand in this praise and in this doxology is that there is truly only one God who acts out his wisdom, his plan of redemption, 
that is done to perfection. Something beyond our comprehension. Something beyond our our understanding. And really the issue of why does God call me and why is God the one who has redeemed me? Why is the Lord the one who has done this? And what Paul wants us to understand is while we live in a sin-cursed world, there's a lot of things we can wrestle with. But Paul's saying what we need to turn back to is to realize that our God is not just a God who knows. He does know, but he is a God who acts definitively in terms of his wisdom in a way and a manner where we cannot act in the same degree. We grow in wisdom, we grow in knowledge. God just does, and as he carries out his will, it is done perfectly in absolute wisdom, without a single hiccup or mistake. And so the the point here is that it's not Paul saying there are many gods. Paul is saying there is only one God who truly can act. There is only one God who can truly be the defender and shield of his people. There is only one God who rules according to his providence in absolute perfection. So we say, okay, so we know this about God. We've contrasted our wisdom to God's wisdom. What do we do with our wisdom? Because the reality is when you go through wisdom literature, we're called to be wise. In fact, one of my theories in the book of Job is I see Job as wrestling with how do we apply wisdom literature and live it out. Uh, you, you have the counselors certainly taking one avenue and one road of trying to come to a conclusion that when you live a righteous life, you have absolute blessing. You live a sinful life, you receive absolute curses. And so it's pretty cut and dry. But you find that that's not at all what's going on in the book of Job. There's something deeper going on. And so as we're called to, to learn wisdom... And we're called to, to live this out, you know, as we're going through Ecclesiastes in the morning. We're thinking of Ecclesiastes, right? And how Solomon's recounting the failures of what he has done in life. That he's given, been given wisdom by God, and he squandered it, right? He, he made wise decisions in terms of worldly decisions and, and, and carrying out his will and, and figuring out how to work under the sun. But he hasn't truly lived out a true godly wisdom. And so this is where we sort of learn what what wisdom is. Because we can acquire a lot of knowledge. We can acquire some helpful knowledge uh, from those around us. We we can't say that every single self-help book is necessarily wrong. We can't say that every doctor who studies uh, medical uh, studies and and does these these things and discoveries is necessarily wrong, right? I mean, they're observing something about the providence of God in this creation, whether they concede it or not. And so there there is a knowledge that one can acquire. There is a, a wisdom that one can apply from that knowledge that may not necessarily be godly. So how do we distinguish then a true godly wisdom from sort of a worldly false wisdom? When we think about ourselves as Christians, we're called Christians because we share in Christ's anointing, right? So I go back to the the quote that Calvin says in book three, that as long, basically as long as Christ is outside of us, he is of no benefit to us. 
And that's something that's very profound. Because as long as in our minds and in our knowledge, as Christ dwells in heaven, and we walk on this earth, and there's no intersection between us and Christ, well, then his work is useless. It does nothing. There's no point in living the Christian life. And that's the whole point of book three, with union with Christ and what it means. And so when we talk about wisdom, that's where we're beginning to understand the significance of Christian wisdom. And it's walking by faith in the power of the Spirit as we're united to our Redeemer. And so when we speak of this wisdom as we're growing in knowledge, as we're growing in confidence of the Lord and his providential care, we live more and more and more. And so wisdom, some say, is just horse sense. And there's a sense where we can learn some ways to function in society, but we want to say that there's more than that. Now, we could just survey Proverbs, right? And we've talked about the beginning of of wisdom as a fear of the Lord. Uh, We can talk about Psalm 107, for instance, where we're reminded to meditate on the steadfast love of the Lord. And again, it's, it's great to meditate on these concepts. It's great to study these concepts. We can think of Proverbs 9, verse 10, with the fear of the Lord. We can think of this echoed in Psalm 111, verse 10. So we can take all these wisdom passages and we commit them to memory. And so then we can fall into a trap of saying that just memorizing scripture and just doing the grit to the will is what's going to bring about this wisdom. Well, it's not bad to memorize scripture. It's not bad to memorize our catechism. It's not bad to memorize our confessional statements. It's not bad to memorize theology. Those are good things to acquire that knowledge. The thing is, we cannot just grow in wisdom by mere grit. Wisdom is unfortunately learned through the trials of life and the trials of this age. And heeding what we know of God and discerning in the power of the Spirit what is pleasing unto the Lord and what is not. And so when we go back to Romans and we look at what Paul is teaching us. Again, there's a wonderful uh, presentation of names, and I probably mess up the pronunciation of many of them. Whatever the case, there there is a a wonderful presentation where we're reminded of how the the church really functioned in history. There's saints who have gone before us, there's saints who will come after us, and how it's this international community that God has secured in his wisdom. Romans 11. 33 to 36, as we've already covered. But we also think about how the Apostle Paul identifies a classification of people. That he speaks of himself in Romans 1 verse 14, being obligated to the wise and to the foolish. Now isn't this an interesting designation of humanity? The wise, the implication would be those who have been raised uh, with the promises of God, who, who believe in God, who are informed by the gospel. The fools are presented as a Gentiles, those who are outside of the church and not truly seeking to submit to Christ. And so here Paul does this pretty cut and dry division of the human race. Not seed of the woman, not seed of the serpent, but he does it in another way. 
The wise are those who are the seed of the woman. The fools are those who are the seed of the serpent. Those who do not seek to bow the knee to Christ. As we go on, Paul speaks about how there are those who claim to have wisdom, right? He goes on in Romans 2 to talk about those who are engaged in all sorts of immoral sins and how they exchange the truth of God for a lie. And they think that as they exchange the truth of God for a lie and basically live for the flesh, the gratification of the flesh, that they're going to have a higher life. But Paul speaks of that as being foolishness, folly. He speaks of the folly of the cross, right? Paul speaks of this in Corinthians. In reality, that the cross of Christ is truly the wisdom of God that is manifested. And so, in Paul's theology, you can see wisdom being synonymous with the gospel, something we grow in as we're united to Christ. But he speaks of this even in the context of, of a drawing a contrast here as he writes this exhortation to the church. So you have this final instructions and greetings. And we have this contrast where we have in 16 verse 19 this call for us to truly uh, hear that exhortation to be wise. Uh, being wise is growing in the promises of Christ. And as we grow in the promises of Christ, we're walking in this wisdom. Now, this is contrary to what we have in verse 17, where you have the foolishness of those who cause divisions and create obstacles. And so you have, once again, this division in terms of the body of Christ. And he's saying, here's a warning. You don't want to be identified as a fools who create these obstacles and seek to, to destroy and seek to tear down. You want to be identified as those who truly are wise, seeking to do what is good and honorable. And so when, when we understand this contrast, it's not living according to our own appetites. And so we're, we're understanding at the end of the letter how this contrast comes out. The fool is the one who just lives exclusively to their own appetites, to their own desires, their own determining of right and wrong. The wise are those who truly desire to submit and walk in Christ and submit to his will. So this reminds us of what Calvin is saying. And as Calvin builds his theology largely on Paul's uh, letters, that as long as Christ is out, remains outside of us, he is of no benefit to us. This is what Paul is telling us. That it's that understanding that as we walk in Christ, the world is not going to value this. As we seek to conform to Christ and grow in this call, the world is not going to value this. And this wisdom is then not only believing and knowing the gospel, but seeking to live it out. As Paul says in Ephesians 5.10, try to discern what's pleasing unto the Lord, Right? So it's that call to continually grow in discerning and wrestling with what truly honors the Lord. But notice then how Paul, in terms of this reminder to a synagogue that's going to face some trials, that he gives us assurance. Because we might say, well, okay, so Paul wants us to grow in this wisdom, right? So we're going to grow in this. 
We say, well, what's the benefit? Why, why continue to struggle in this if the world's not going to appreciate this and if it's, it's going to continually put down my fundamental desires? Verse 20 is so beautiful, isn't it? Because it's this reminder of the ultimate victory that it identifies. And I find this verse funny because it starts with the God of peace, the God of shalom. Right? So it's reminding us this is a God of wholesomeness, the God of wholeness, a God who brings about the fullness of his redemption in his wisdom as Paul builds this theology. But this God of peace is going to do something. He's going to destroy Satan and all the satanic forces. But it's not just under the feet of Christ. When we look at Genesis 3.15, there's a singular understanding there of one seed that's going to rise up and be triumphant. But here we have this understanding of our union and identity in Christ of such a manner that it's not only the Lord Jesus Christ who manifests his victory, but we share in it. That Satan will be crushed under our feet and we will be part of the heavenly army. And then notice how he encourages us. So he he gives us that, that sort of end time snapshot. Here's your goal. Here's your victory. This is why you continue to struggle in Christ consciously then he reminds us the grace of the lord jesus christ be with you in other words we're going to grow and live in this wisdom by the grace and power of the lord jesus christ and so our wisdom is not manifested merely in our grit it's our wisdom of calling out to god which is why james reminds us if any of you ask wisdom ask of god who gives generously Again, it's that calling out to God, understanding where our life is grounded, not in self, not under the sun, but in the fear and wisdom of God as we embrace Christ and live in the power of his gospel. So when he says to the only wise God, be glory forevermore, in verse 27, as he's summarizing this, This isn't just a call for us, and it certainly is a call for us, but it's not just a call for us to marvel at God. Certainly it's there. But it's that reminder that God is not some abstract being who knows all things, lords it over us, and, and does nothing to bring us into his presence. That when we understand the richness of wisdom, hopefully, we know that God acts perfectly he executes his will perfectly whatever he does is done in absolute perfection and holiness whether we truly understand it or not but the assurance is that as God does this he's not some tyrant he's not just some God who's abstract up there and maybe we'll stumble into him and and know him at some point But as we're exhorted to have this wisdom, it's assuring us that the same wisdom that that God uses in carrying out his plans, one of his attributes, is something that he's given to us, that we grow in as humans. And so it's that reminder that as we pursue Christ, this is not a futile endeavor. And so this is our call in terms of our consciousness, Pursue the Lord, fear the Lord, and you're going to find that there's true life. And we say, but what if I'm weak? What if I don't feel like 
I can pursue the Lord in this moment. I, I don't know what, what to do in this. This is where you go back to what Paul has said, Romans 8, where the Spirit intercedes for us. You look here at Romans uh, 16, verse 20, that not only with the assurance that the Lord will crush Satan under our feet, but that the grace of God will sustain us. And we will grow in this wisdom. And so we can say then, how is this wisdom really something that's going to work itself out? How, how do we know that this is wisdom that's really for me, that I really want this going to secure life? Well, first, we know that God is wise. And so in the midst of our struggle, when we may wonder why God does what he does, right? This is what Elihu prepares a way for the Lord with Job. Job doesn't understand what God's doing. We don't always understand what God's doing. When we face trials, we don't know what God's doing. But one thing we have to go back to is that God is perfectly wise. God perfectly knows all things. God also perfectly knows us. And God in his wisdom is doing what is best for us as he works in a sin-cursed world. It's not to say this is always going to be easy. It's not to say this is always going to be something where you know, we never have any doubts or struggles. But this is a reminder. This is one of the things where Paul is exhorting us to place our minds, to place our focus, to meditate upon. But secondly, we also understand that as human beings... We have a propensity to be wise in our own eyes. This is not the place of life. This is not the place where we find encouragement. Certainly we can see in a common grace level or in a general level where we can see that there are individuals who can learn certain things and apply certain things. It's not always done in, in godly wisdom, but there is a certain wisdom we can glean from it. But that's not really getting us something that is truly the hope of the gospel. That, that may help us live life under the sun. It may give us uh, a, a little bit of consolation as we take that in terms of who we are as Christians. But the real reason when we understand this exhortation to be wise is understanding that we walk and we can attain and we have a godly wisdom. So we have to see ourselves as those who possess it. As we take hold of Christ by faith, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. We are those who possess heavenly wisdom. And we have to believe that what God has done in his wisdom has applied his blessings to us in power of the Spirit. We have life. We have wisdom. Now when I say we attain... This is just simply meaning that we grow, we continue to attain or acquire more and more wisdom as we live out the gospel in the hope of the kingdom. And so let us then understand that when God is the one who confers his wisdom and is all wise, that we have to have the consolation in knowing that while we may not always understand what God is doing, in terms of his wisdom, we have to believe it is perfect. And we have to believe that what God is doing is best. He knows all that can be done. But in what he knows and how he applies it is being done in absolute perfection. The other thing we know is that as we take hold of Christ by faith, 
as we consciously pursue Christ and who we are as humans, we know that this pursuit is not a wasted endeavor. We truly find and grow and discover and acquire more and more wisdom as we live out the gospel and walk under the sun. So let us be a people then who do not seek to be wise in our own eyes, but a people who desire to discern what is pleasing to the Lord as we walk in the power of the Spirit with the assurance of knowing that it is the grace of Christ that sustains us. And knowing that as we are in Christ Jesus, we share in the victory of Christ with the assurance that Satan will ultimately be trampled under our feet. Let us then go in the confidence of our guaranteed victory in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon. We hope and pray that our sermons encourage you as you sojourn on your Christian walk. If you have any questions about our church, please contact our pastor through our webpage, urcbelgrade.com. That is urcbelgrade.com. We also have many sermon series archived and available for download on our website, urcbelgrade.com. Most of all, We would love to see you join us in our Christian sojourn by being part of our church. Until we meet again, may the Lord's blessing and peace be upon you.